And we all need to make a decision about this. It is not good enough to just shrug and say, I don't know, I'm not sure. church. Well, that's why I said, you said, shall I read? I'm like, if you want to. It's up to you. <laughs> we'll see. What's that? You almost started laughing. Oh, we've been there before. Oh, she's not looking. Uh, <laughs> sometimes we come to Bible passages and they're really clear really quickly. Uh, Paul has made a couple of really clear points so far that are just beyond confusion. You know, about sexual morality, how we settle conflict in church, uh, what you do with your finance, where else has he been, your, your liberty, your freedom. Jesus did the same thing when he talked about gossip, when he talked about bearing grudges, uh, when he talked about treating people and speaking to people as you want to be treated and spoken to. Some of these things are just unequivocal, like beyond any confusion. If we can read it, then we get it. Other times, we roll into passages like this, <laughs> and we're hit with verses that are really uncomfortable to read. And if they're not, if that wasn't a little bit uncomfortable for you, which is why I'm so pleased that you read it as a lady in the church, if that isn't a bit uncomfortable for you, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's not easy to read because it brings up more questions uh, than it answers. Uh, and hopefully, this morning we'll see why, why that is so uncomfortable. Uh, and we'll build on that next week as well, where we look at ladies in Scripture, bigger picture. Uh, so this morning, this basically is just 34 and 35. <laughs> next week, ladies in Scripture. So what we're going to do uh, this morning, we're going to read that passage again without verses 34 and 35. We're going to take a couple of minutes to explain it and apply it because it is it's fairly simple. And then we're going to talk about 34 and 35. And then we're going to worship again with two ladies in the worship team. And if you disagree with what I'm saying, don't worship with us. It's really, really simple. It's, it's one or the other. We're either led into worship with ladies in the church or we, we shouldn't be here. So it's going to be good. <laughs> I think it's going to be good. It's going to be the <laughs> it might be the last time that we do this. <laughs> For a couple of reasons. But we'll see. That's up to you. So we're going to read it again from verse 33 without verse 34, 35, where they are in the majority of English Bibles, and then talk about it. So 30, uh, from 33, as in all the churches of the saints, did the word of God begin with you or did it come to you alone? If anyone considers himself a prophet or a spiritual person, he should acknowledge that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If someone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So then, brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. and Do not forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. Do everything in a decent and orderly manner. Uh, what's going on then here at the end of this fairly dense chapter about uh, gifts is that God, speaking through Paul, is trying to establish comparable practices in various churches. God, in his infinite foresight and wisdom, knew that this was going to be read beyond the Corinthians, one time only. And the case in point is that we carry a copy of it in our English Bibles now, or your Spanish Bibles, or your Afrikaans language Bibles. It's there. It's going to be read again. So we need 
churches are going to gather in different places, in different cultures, so we need to establish some various practices. As in all the churches of the saints, look, the word is the word, so we should be able to do things on a fairly comparable basis. Uh, there's going to be a time when most of us will leave Bahrain and you should be able to find a church that feels like this and does a service like this because this is what Scripture says about how we do church. As in all the churches of the saints, did the Word of God begin with you or did it come to you alone? So if you claim in to be a church, there are some basic guidelines for how you should do your gatherings and the responsibility to do it like this is put back on the Corinthians. Look, did the word of God begin just with you? Did it come to you alone? Is it up to you how you do things? Just you? And then the authority is given back to God. It's, it's, the, it's the word of God that governs how we do uh, what we do. And Paul says, look, if you're claiming to be super spiritual, which you are, if you're claiming to be people of faith, people who believe in scripture, you'll know that what I'm saying is true, and you're going to stop just going rogue and doing your own thing. But if you claim to be super spiritual, if we claim to be Christians and do our own thing, he says, look, if somebody does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So he's saying, look, if you disregard this, if you're just going to breeze past the theological and scriptural exhortations that I've given you about how you gather, that's fine. You do your own thing. But it's your thing. It's not church as God wants church to be. So you, 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 fine, you, you do your thing, but stop claiming it is, is church, is the Bible. Scripture talks about church. And then with a, a final word on gifts, uh, he says there in verse 40, kind of underscores this, repeats himself just to make sure that he's been understood. Do everything decently and in an orderly manner. And then he's finished with this correction on gifts and gatherings. It's really quite simple, isn't it? He's told them what to do, why, how. Uh, he's given them scriptural points. He's, he's thrown back to the prophets and quoted from them as he does. Throw back. And he's given them a theological point, like your worship reflects the character of whatever you're worshiping. So if you're claiming to worship God, your worship should look like God. Uh, and this, is, this would be really nice. <laughs> this would be really simple. This would be really easy if we could just stop. <laughs> Without verses 34, 35. And loads of people do. Loads of people do just sidestep this. It'd be so much easier for us just to ignore this and pretend that it's not there. <laughs> but we can't. Because it is in the vast majority of your English Bibles as either 34 and 35 or after verse 4. 40. It's in most of your Bibles, so we, we can't ignore it. It's in pretty much every copy of the Greek New Testament. I brought along some evidence to point to this morning because disagreement is sure to follow. Uh, so come disagree with <laughs> the books. Uh, it's in pretty much every copy of our Bibles, but there is considerable doubt. Should it be there or not? And so the big question is... Not whether we can trust the Bible, not whether it's Scripture is, is good and right and true. The big question is, did Paul say this originally or not? Did Paul say this or not? Or somebody else added it in after they received this letter. Uh, this is why now we read that passage 
without verses 34 uh, and 35. So we're gonna, I'm going to share with you two reasons why there is considerable doubt if this belongs in our Bibles or not. Before we do, I think it's really important because people, <laughs> you and me, have a huge propensity to pick out words and phrases and, dis- and, and just misunderstand. So, before we move forward, I think it's important to affirm what we believe about Scripture, about God's Word in this church. And the easiest way to do it is to point to something called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Basically, how do we talk about the Bible being true and right and, and in all it says? And uh, you can look up that statement online. It's free to view. Article 6 of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy says, We affirm that the whole of Scripture and all its parts, each and every book, of the big book, down to the very words of the original were given by divine inspiration. So very, very simply, every word that Paul wrote in his original letter to the Corinthians and what those individual words mean was given to him by God, divine inspiration. Uh, If you disagree with me on this, if you think the whole of the Bible is up for debate and discussion, that is fine, but we're going to disagree on some pretty fundamental things about what it means to be a Christian, uh, how we are saved, how worship should look, uh, many, many things. Article 10 of that statement says, we affirm that inspiration, strictly speaking, applies only to the autographic text of Scripture. That's the original. When Paul put pen to paper, that's the autographic text of Scripture, which in the providence of God can be ascertained from available manuscripts with great accuracy. We further affirm that copies and translations of Scripture are the Word of God to the extent that they faithfully represent the original. So the fact that we don't have Paul's letter in front of us is not a huge problem if we're reading from something and basing our lives on something that is, as we read there, that it faithfully represents the original. So as long as a copy is a good copy, a right copy, a true copy, we can take it with the authority of the original letter. It is also rightly held as the word of God. So the question then is not, do we believe God's word in this church? Does this church care about the Bible at all? The question is, did Paul write what we now refer to as verses 34 and 35. And there are three kind of explanations. First, yeah, he did. It's original. Paul wrote it, and it's in the right place. Whoever put it together and translated it into English, Spanish, Afrikaans, it's, they got it right. It's good. And therefore, that is what God wants for church gatherings. Ladies, zip it. And so this is going to look kind of different after this, is it not? I'm so pleased that you read. Second, yes, it's original, but it's in the wrong place. It belongs after verse 40. It belongs somewhere else in 1 Corinthians. It's a relatively modern idea. Maybe your Bible's got a little note in the margin at the bottom to say, look, you can kind of read this wherever you like. Read it here. Read it after verse 40, but read it. It's a very, a very modern It's just not good. Or, it's not original. Paul didn't write it. Somebody else added it. There's a little note in the margin. A little bit of, I don't know, a little bit of their own 
preference. And so it's not original. Therefore, it wasn't in the, uh, the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. And therefore, that's not what God wants for church gatherings. And we all need to make a decision about this. It is not good enough to just shrug and say, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure. Because if you think it is original, you shouldn't be here worshipping with us today. Because two ladies led us into a time of worship and prayed. Shock. Led us into worship with singing, prayed for us. If you think this is absolutely right, this is not the place for you today. Maybe try next week when there's somebody else speaking. We need to make an informed decision on this. It's not good enough to just shrug and think, not sure. Uh, it's going to shape your attitude towards church, how church should look, who should be involved. Uh, so I'm going to share with you where I have landed this week and why, and then you need to make your own decision. Uh, to make that decision, we need to go back. It would be perfect if there was a scanned digital copy of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. That would just be the easiest thing in the world, wouldn't it? If it was in a museum somewhere, online somewhere, but there isn't. Uh, so we need to go back to the oldest copy of the Bible, as we know it. And this is going to get really deep for a couple of minutes, but please bear with. Uh, the oldest full copy of the Bible, as we know it, is generally held to be Codex Vaticanus. It's about dates to about 300 AD. And there is really good evidence that Vaticanus was copied, copied, copied from the original. And so it can be held up as, by the logic of the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, Scripture, God's Word. This is a genuine, uh, faithful, good copy of the original. Therefore, it's, it's inerrant, it's perfect, it's flawless. You can view it online for free, uh, as I have done this week. Now, way back when this was compiled, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if you, wanted a, if you wanted your own copy, you didn't go down to the Bible Society, you didn't go to Amazon, uh, you didn't open up your phone and download an app that you can read it from. Somebody, a regular person, a regular man, a regular lady, like you, like me, had to make you a copy of these letters. <laughs> and as well as copies, what do people make? People make mistakes. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's not. Humans make mistakes. Names are spelled a little bit wrong. Uh, numbers are put in the wrong order. Uh, words are elongated, uh, missed, because it's just one big, long jumble of capital letters. And so try as you might, you're going to make mistakes. Humans make mistakes. Now, the scribe, the copier, known to have worked on Vaticanus, was, world, was regionally renowned for his fidelity and their accuracy, praise God. Best copyist to ever live. And they would even copy notes from the margin. So here's Paul's letter, and here are some notes that Joe Congregant in Corinth has written in the side for his copy. And so the, uh, the, uh, the, the scribe, the copyist for Vaticanus, would even copy these notes and put a little symbol here, or well, there's a note, or like a study Bible. It would copy up a really good study Bible. So in the symbols, there are signs that show us in the, the surviving oldest copy where stuff is different, uh, where 
other people have copied it differently. The kind of two full stops, uh, the two periods there, indicate a difference. Oh, didn't see this last time. Somebody's chosen a different word. Different, it's different. And then the dash indicates an addition. Somebody's added something. This wasn't here last time. It's not in the original. Somebody's added this. And you can maybe see where this is going. In the oldest surviving copy of the Bible, what we refer to as 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35, is the only, it is the, it is the one. It is the one time where these symbols appear together. Uh, we've got a lovely picture of it, look. There. So there are two dots, full stops, two periods, that indicate that the scribe says, oh, this wasn't, this is a little bit different to last time. The dash indicates, oh, this wasn't even here last time. I've seen the original, and this wasn't in it. And this is the only time in the New Testament, you can go and look, it's free online. This is the only time in the New Testament where they appear together. Something's different, and there's been an addition. And so what we read as verse 34 begins with the very... Begins there with what kind of looks like a, a slanted over capital letter A. And he says, look, as for the ladies, it's the only time in the New Testament where they come together. So the first reason for us to seriously question, does this belong, is that there are serious, there are technical and academic doubts as to their originality. Did God say that through Paul or was it added later by somebody else? Aside from that, is the internal consistency. Does it fit? Does it sound like everything else that Paul has said? Let's look at verses 34 and 35. There are three unqualified, unequivocal, crystal clear, outright bands on ladies speaking in church. The women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Rather, let them be in submission, as in fact the law says. If they want to find out about something, they should ask their husbands at home, because it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now just look at that and ask yourself, does this fit with what we've talked about in the previous few weeks, where we've talked about prophecy, encouraging one another, praying together. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul has made clear how things should happen in the service. And he's, he made very clear that speaking words of prophecy, encouraging one another, praying, singing, being heard in church is not gender specific. This is so clear. This is an outright ban. Go forward in Scripture. Does it line up with what Paul says later? Even uh, lots of people like to take this and point to 1 Timothy. I oh, see, look, I don't permit a woman to teach. This is not talking about preaching and teaching. This is outright banning ladies from speaking in church. An outright ban. 1 Timothy tells us, and we learn from that, that the, the primary preaching and teaching Leadership role in a church is a male thing. There's no value attached to that, no worth, no dignity. 
There's no banishing of women from ever speaking in First Timothy. It just gives clarity on roles and responsibilities and stuff like that. It's not an outright ban as we see there. This, go, this even goes beyond complementarian theology where we say that men and women are different. And that's good. That's fine. We have different roles in the world, in the home, in the church. But complementarian theology is not an outright ban on ladies being heard in the church service. This contradicts earlier statements that Paul has made. It contradicts uh, the verse 39. So then, brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Everybody should want to encourage somebody else. Do not forbid anyone. This doesn't fit. It contradicts earlier statements. And as we said last week, God is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of contradictions. I had a, a hermeneutics professor, it's a teacher that teaches you how to read, study, and understand the Bible in its culture and context and uh, stuff like that. And he had this really good phrase, and he, he used to say that we, we take Scripture, we understand Scripture in its plainest and simplest form. It says what it says, it means what it means, unless it produces an impossibility or an absurdity. outright banning women from ever speaking in a church service under any circumstances, ever, 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 is an absolute absurdity. Given what God says in other places in Scripture. Yet, the author of this piece, verses 34 and 35, as we talk about it, seems intent on keeping ladies from joining in the vocal worship in church in any way or any shape, or any form. No praying. It's disgraceful to speak in church. You, can't, you can never pray aloud. No congregational singing. Could be, could be quiet. Could be silent. No reading of scripture. Nothing. So, there are two reasons to question if this is original or not, or whether it was added later. The earliest available copies, the earliest available manuscripts, and its internal consistency. I've probably not hidden it very well, but my personal conviction on this uh, is, if you don't share it, it's fine. My personal conviction on verses 34 and 35 is that I don't think Paul wrote it. I don't think that God said this through Paul. I think it found its way in as a note in the margin, and then a very diligent scribe has copied it as a note in the margin, and then as more people and more people and more people and more people have copied it, it's just found its way into the text. It's now in the majority of texts that we've got with a massive question mark. And over time, the signs and the symbols and the doubts have not been copied. And now it's just there. Again, if you disagree with that, it's fine. Please come and read some stuff about it. Uh, there's links if you want to, to, to really look into this, but... That's me and my conviction. So, for you and me here now, what does this mean? Does this mean we can't trust the Bible? No, of course it doesn't mean that. Uh, these verses are unique and extremely challenging. Uh, they're very unique in the New Testament. What it means for us is that we really need to pay attention to what we're reading and what we're hearing presented to us as the authoritative, inerrant, infallible word of God. Paul said it a couple of verses back. 
we need to evaluate. We need to really listen to what's going on because this blatantly contradicts what he's just said. So that should have raised a little red flag. He's talked about all these things we should do in church, not about ladies. Now, ladies should do this. And then moving forward, when you all, it doesn't fit. It means you need to question, investigate, and study. That just doesn't fit. And sometimes, you'll do the work, you'll look into something, you'll ask the tough questions, and as much as you wish, there are no <laughs> textual variants. There's nothing <laughs> wrong but you. Sometimes there, there's no explanation. There's no doubt if it's original or not. And so we need to adjust our thinking because this is held up rightly as coming from God. We need to lose our own personal preferences and submit to Scripture. Other times, like this, we do the work, we look into it, we, we, we question how we come to hold these 66 books. Why is this called the Bible? What about all the other books that were written around this time? Letters from people to groups, from churches to other churches. Why these 66 books? Sometimes we do the work and we see, do you know what? There is good evidence that this, this wasn't said. <laughs> and again, you know, as soon as people get involved, <laughs> people make problems. <laughs> people make mistakes. It gets really complicated when you get people involved in anything. It gets really messy because people are messy. And it, honestly, it's a really difficult line to walk. Saying, on the one hand, we believe, we affirm that the Word of God is flawless and without error. The only defining and authoritative guide for our life. This is what we are going to submit to. We claim to be a Christian. How do we live? We turn to the Bible. And on the other side, we freely and willingly acknowledge that we don't hold in our hands the piece of paper or parchment or the stone tablet that Paul put pen to paper on. And honestly, it needs a bit of maturity in your faith to accept that what was made and given perfectly in its original form has been tarnished by people, by fallen humanity. And so the divine image, the divine stamp, the divine originality of that has been marred. It's not quite how it was intended to be. And if you're struggling to accept this, as you leave, pop into the bathroom and look in the mirror. Not, not your Bible, there's no like hidden codes when you read it in a mirror backwards. Look, just look at yourself. If you're struggling to accept that something made with divine origin, something made that reflects God's image and nature and character can be marred by human error, <laughs> just look in the mirror and look at yourself. Because the Bibles that we carry are a wonderful example of us as people. They come in a variety of shapes, sizes, languages, styles. Uh, some of you have got a paper copy. Uh, some of you it's in a, a language that's not English. Some of you are reading it on, from the screen. Some of you have got it on an app on your phone. 
however it looks in your world, at the core of, of, of our Bible, this little library of books, is something beautiful and wonderful, something from God himself. And just as our Bibles contain something beautiful and wonderful, made in the image of God, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that that's us, that we are made in the image of God, men, women, old, young, shapes, sizes. And just as something so divine and so pure and so beautiful has been marred and tarnished and contaminated by human error, so too are we. So too are we. We are made in the image of God, but just like those original texts of Scripture, we are tarnished and changed by poor choices, by human error, by the sin in our life. We still bear His image. We still bear that truth, even if there are parts of us that are not there by original design. Just like 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. And so all of that to say, this passage in 1 Corinthians 14 is a perfect example of us as people. Originally, it was made perfectly. It was flawless. It was inerrant. It was infallible. It was inspired. Now, sadly, it contains parts that were not there originally, that don't represent God's character and nature and intent for people. And whilst we will never, ever see that original piece of paper that arrived into Corinth with Paul's handwriting on it and his little signature at the bottom, we'll never be 100% sure if Paul wrote verses 34 and 35. What we can be 100% sure on is that from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, one thing is consistent and completely unaffected by human copies uh, of Scripture. And that is that a Savior was predicted and prophesied and then took on flesh to redeem us and what does not belong in our lives, to save us from sin's curse and grip and stain on our lives, the things in our life that don't reflect God's nature and character. We've said this before, I'll say it again, Properly understood scripture from beginning to end will always take us to Jesus, God in the flesh. We know that for sure because Jesus said it himself in, a, in multiple places. And so, as strange as it might sound to you, I would urge you not to put your faith in a book. Don't put your faith and your hope and your trust. Sounds weird. Don't put your faith in a Bible or its translation committee or the philosophy to which they work. Instead, I would urge you to put your hope in the Savior that it reveals in Jesus. Jesus.